we're coming this morning to part two of part one. Part one really being the introduction to this new series of Sunday school lessons we're going to do on the subject of walking with God. And so in part one, we looked at some introductory things. And last week we finished really with the the four foundational principles, foundational truths. Um, I think I called them foundational pillars of what it means to walk with God. And so as we continue on in this study, I want today to deal with nine reasons that we are given as to why we should walk with God. And if you weren't here I think most everybody was here last week, but if you weren't here, um, just a reminder. I'm using the basic framework of a book by Henry Scudder called The Christian's Daily Walk. And so that's really what we're going through. I'm just taking his basic outline, uh, his basic thoughts and structure, and then expounding on that to some degree of what he says in that book. And I trust this will be very profitable for us. Uh, like I say, this week we'll finish up some introductory things. And then next week, what we'll get into is some really very specific and really very, very practical uh, aspects of what walking with God actually looks like. Uh, at the beginning of next week's lesson, we're going to take a little pause and time out to deal with an issue that we call casuistry. I'll explain that next week. Um, But sometimes when we give very, very specific and practical instruction uh, and, and seek to base that specific and practical instruction on Scripture, it can come across as recommendations that are requirements. But a recommendation is not a requirement. Only a requirement is a requirement, and what God requires of us are the Ten Commandments. God does not require of us to follow another man's opinion. And so when we deal with some of these very practical things, I'm going to give you Henry Scudder's very practical application of what walking with God actually looks like. Um, they, They are principles and guides based on Scripture, but we'll take some time next week to give a little bit more caveat than what I'm giving you. Um, This is not something we are not called to walk in bondage. We are called to walk with God, and there's a big difference between walking in bondage and walking with God. Walking in God is not a walk in bondage, but sometimes a presentation of these things can turn into bondage, and We want to avoid those pitfalls and those mistakes. But I want this week to uh, outline for you nine reasons that he gives. Some of these will be very brief. Some of these will be uh, expounded on a little bit more. But when we talk about walking with God, one of the things that we must keep in mind is that as a believer, it is not right for us to say, I generally walk with God. Because... To say that I generally walk with God would imply something of half-heartedness. And we are not at all called to walk with the Lord in a way that is half-hearted. It's not that we should say, 
most of the time I walk with God. Or when I'm with other Christians, I walk with God. We are not called upon to have lives that are segmented in such a way that sometimes we walk with the Lord and sometimes we don't. That would be wrong. That would be sinful. Sinfully wrong. Uh, So our walk with the Lord must be something that is consistent. Now, that's what we're aiming at. We're aiming at consistency in our walk with the Lord. And we need help with that because we are all, to, to one degree or another, inconsistent in our walk with the Lord. But as a true believer, you desire consistency, faithfulness in your walk with the Lord. So let's look at some reasons. First of all, and I mean really point one and we're done, right? You are commanded to walk as Christ walked. And so other than the fact that God has commanded us to walk with him, well, lesson over, right? What more, what other reasons do we need than simply God has commanded this to be so? But look with me at 1 John 2 and verse 6. 1 John 2 and verse 6. We're going to turn up um, these verses as you see them in your notes so you can pay attention and look ahead or look ahead and not pay attention or look ahead and pay attention, whatever you need to do. But 1 John 2, 6 is the first one. And here we read from the Apostle John, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. And so it's just a very straightforward admonition from the Apostle John based on sound reasoning and sound logic. If you claim to abide in Christ... So you're claiming to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. Then if that's what you claim, then you ought to walk as Christ walked. You ought to be a follower of Jesus. And so as we look at the ministry of Christ, and I mean we don't have time to go through a whole survey of the ministry of Christ other than just to point out some very general and very obvious things. When you look at the ministry of Christ, how did Christ walk? He walked with God. His entire life, we could say, was a mission. He was on a mission to do the will of the Father. From start to finish, his, his mission was to do the Father's will, even when it was announced what his name would be. You shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. This was his mission. And so when we find Christ among and with the disciples, he's talking to them about the things of the Lord. When we find Christ in his quiet moments, if you will, where he's not engaged with the crowd, he's not preaching to his disciples, when he's gone off away from everyone else, and the people say, hey, where did Jesus go? And so they send the search party, and they find him. What do they find him doing? He's praying. He's in communion with the Father. And so he was one who was constantly and consistently and faithfully walking with the Lord. And so if we are followers of Christ, if we are called to be Christians, little Christs, then we are to walk as he walked. Another way, another perspective of looking at this particular thing 
is we understand that Christ is the head and the church is the body. And we read Paul's illustration about the body being made up of many members and there's hands and feet and eyes and ears and toes and fingers and all the rest of it in, in the body of Christ. Well, not to make this a silly thing, but if your head is going one direction and your body is going in a different direction, something terrible has happened in your circumstances. Right? Your, your head and your body are supposed to be connected to one another. And they're supposed to be headed in the same direction. And if we are part of the body of Christ, we're a little tiny part, whatever part we are, but we're part of the body of Christ, we're going where the head is going. We're to be following the head. And so we're to be walking as Christ is walking, in the way that he is walking. The second one, uh, turn to Micah 6 and verse 8. This is a verse many of you would already have memorized, so you might not need to turn to it. But the second one, the second reason is that walking with the Lord, walking with God, is really the sum and substance of what God requires of the believer. We'll look later at the Ten Commandments and in an aspect of obedience to God's law and God's revealed will. And we dealt with that last week. That was one of the foundational pillars of walking with God. We are walking in obedience to the revealed will of God found in the Ten Commandments. But look at Micah 6, 8. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. And so here's what God requires. It's very straightforward. And what we have in Micah 6, 8 is really just a summary in different words of a summary of the commandments of God. There's several different places in Scripture that kind of summarize the Ten Commandments, boil it all down just into a nutshell. And so here it is. This is what the Lord requires of you to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And so, you remember, we have the Ten Commandments. We often refer to the Ten Commandments in the first table and the second table of the law. And so, the first four commandments, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Commandment five to ten is summarized in, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so that's a way of summarizing the Ten Commandments. Well, Micah 6.8 is really substantively the same thing, just in a different order. What does the Lord require of thee? Well, to love your neighbor as yourself. To, what does it say? Do justly and to love mercy. And so that really is a way of saying, love thy neighbor as thyself. And then to walk humbly with thy God is really just another way of saying, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It really is just a summary of the Ten Commandments. This is what God requires. And so it is the sum and substance of what God asks of us, what God requires of us as believers to walk with him. Uh, number three, if you walk with God, you will be sure of going the right way. And the thing is, there is only one way. There is only one way to heaven. 
there's only one way to that celestial city, as it were. You remember Pilgrim's Progress and how Pilgrim was told from the very beginning, you see that light, you see that yonder light. Well, walk to that light. Walk with that light in your eyes and, and follow that pathway. And there are times that the road splits, but you walk with that in view. You walk with the heavenly city in view. Jeremiah 6.16, there's two verses here to look at. Jeremiah 6.16 and then Isaiah 30 and verse number 21. But Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. So the verse takes a turn, and it's, it's part of the condemnation of Israel. But the general principle that's given at the beginning of that is to ask for the old paths wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. And so if you walk with God, you'll be sure of, of walking in the right way that you're supposed to be walking. And then Isaiah 30, verse 21, says, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. This is the way, walk ye in it. And so last week, I hope you remember <coughs> me saying that walking with God is simply the way of the believer. This is the way. This is how believers live. They don't live a different way. The Bible doesn't know of a Christian that doesn't walk with the Lord. That, that's not the way of the believer. The way of the believer is the straight path, the way with, with the Lord. I don't know if your notes do the same thing as mine, but you've heard me talk about demon possession before. And it's a debatable topic Although I'm thoroughly convinced that if demons still possess things today, they possess printers. Are your notes like blurry vision? You all need glasses. No. You don't need glasses. They're blurry with glasses. Okay. Well, John, I'm sorry. So y'all pray, pray for our family. We had a printer, a brother printer. Never buy a brother printer. We had a brother printer. And it was so awful. And then my beloved mother-in-law moves in with us. And she brought a printer with her into the family. We adopted her printer that theoretically was better than the brother printer. It's an Epson printer. And look at it. It's ridiculous. So we're going to start a printer fund in our house. I don't know how to do it. I've calibrated the thing, you know, where you run the thing and it prints all the goofy lines and you have to line them. I've done that three or four times and it still prints all blurry. So I'm very sorry. So we'll have to fix our printer. But be that as it may. If you walk with the Lord, you'll be sure to walk the right way, right? Chevrolet... Their, their most recent ad campaign is find new roads. Right? That sounds wonderful. Very adventurous, 
right? Go to a new place, find new roads. It's great. But that's not the way of the Christian. The the Christian is not looking for new paths. We're not looking for new roads. We're not looking for a a new way to invent things. We're not looking for a a different and a better way to do church. We're We're not looking for any of that. We're not looking for new roads. As a believer walking with the Lord, what we should all want to do is to align ourselves with the path that for centuries Christians have walked. If you remember when I went through the, the lesson about the King James Bible and why we in the Free Presbyterian Church use the, the authorized version, the King James version of the Bible, there are various reasons for it. But one of the sub-reasons that I gave is that reading from and memorizing from the King James Version aligns you with the English-speaking world for the last 300 years. Right? It, it, it puts you in a camp of biblical knowledge, biblical jargon, verbiage, all, all of that, that is, it's the language of the church. It's the language of Christianity. Our family, a couple weeks ago, we were invited to some friends' house, people that we knew from, or we know from years ago, the kids playing soccer together. And we're eating dinner in their home, and we're sitting in their living room, and we're, we're chatting, and the husband gets up, and he, he brings a guitar into the living room. And he's got sheet music printed out. And he said, would you guys like to sing? Well, sure. Well, what did we sing? We just sang from, from memory a collection of hymns, like this songs that the church knows. Like if you go to church, you know this music. We're not looking for a new way. We're not looking for a newfangled, better method. You know, we're not looking for different bells and whistles to reinvent the wheel. We're, we're happy and we rejoice in the old paths following the way that Christians from the beginning have followed. And so if you remember last week when we started, I, I said that walking with the Lord puts you in the category of a great cloud of witnesses. And we went through characters from Scripture. And then I mean, we could break out of that and just go through church history. This is the way of the believer. It is the right way, walking with the Lord. Fourth one, it's the safest path because the Lord is with you on that path. Uh, Look at Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3.21. We'll start there. If you go back up to the the top of the section, maybe I should look it up myself. It's like verse 18 or earlier than that. Now 13. So verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. I mention that because if you start reading in verse number 21, it says, my son, let not them depart from thine eyes. And the them that it's talking about is wisdom and understanding. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs being predominantly a personification of the person of Christ And so, my son, let not wisdom and understanding depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then thou shalt walk in the way safely. 
and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And so what we're, we're saying here is to walk with the Lord puts you on the safest path because it's the path the Lord's on. And with, you're with him, there is, no, there is no danger. You remember Pilgrim's Progress again. There's this one episode where Christian is walking and he sees these two lions on the two sides of, you know, each side of the road. And he hears the voice, I forget who it is telling him, was it interpreter? I forget who it was. Anyway, um, it's David Muck in the audio version. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> Keep that light in your eyes. You'll stay in the middle of the pathway. Don't go to the left or right. Stay in the middle. And so Christian walks according to the way he's commanded to walk. Well, it's once he gets past the lines that he realizes the whole time they were chained. He couldn't see the chains from, from the perspective where he was at the beginning, but it was later he, he realized those, those lines couldn't have got to him anyway. Had he gone to the right or to the left, they would have. But following the Lord's path, he was in a place of safety. He, he was on the right way. He was in a safe way, walking with the Lord. Uh, number five, the fifth reason. While maybe sometimes a lonely path, it is the path with the best company because it is the path with God. You probably know Robert Frost's poem, uh, the, road, or the, the Road Less Traveled By. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and the poem is of the traveler wondering and deciding which road to take. And the last stanza of the poem tells us that he chose the road less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Well, sometimes in life, we are confused as to which road to take. Which direction should I go? Should I make this choice or should I make this other choice? Well, Generally speaking, following the crowd is the wrong choice. Right? In, in Frost's poem, one of the paths was obviously well-trodden. One of the paths was obviously way busier than the other one. But he chose the road less traveled by. And the way of the believer in our day and age, in our culture, in our situation... It is the road less traveled by. It is the lonelier path. It is not the, the path that the masses are traveling. But it is the path that the Lord is on. And it puts us at great advantage walking with the Lord. We have communion with him. We have fellowship with him. And we're in the right way. We're in the safest way. We're on the best path because we have the best company on our path, though perhaps sometimes lonely. Uh, it is nonetheless the best path. Number six, it is the best distraction from sin to walk with God always in your view. 
And so if you remember last week, we were talking about these foundational pillars, and the last of those four foundational pillars is the fear of the Lord. And I often define the fear of the Lord as living in the awareness of God. Just constantly being mindful of the fact that God is there. God sees, God knows, God hears. God is your witness to everything that takes place. And so you take Joseph just as an example. So Potiphar, I'm sorry, Potiphar's wife seeks to seduce and tempt Joseph. And Potiphar's wife had it all wrong. Potiphar's wife would never have tried to seduce Joseph and do what she did had Potiphar been there. Potiphar's wife would not have done what she did had other servants been in the room. Potiphar's wife was under the false assumption that she and Joseph were all alone and no one would ever see and no one would ever know. But she was wrong. Joseph, on the other hand, knew and understood that he's never alone. He knew and he understood that God was there. How can I do this wicked thing and sin against God? God will know. God is here. God sees. God knows what's in my heart. God knows all of my actions. And so walking with the Lord is is really a very good distraction from sin if you're walking in that fear of the Lord, knowing that the Lord is always there. But you take Potiphar's wife, we often do the same. You do things in private that you would never do if someone else saw you do it. You think things that you would never think if other people were able to know your thoughts. But yet God knows them, God sees them, God hears. And so walking with the Lord, living in that fear, is a distraction from sin. Because you're walking with the Lord. The Lord is there. And so it prevents you from from doing things. But then you, you flip the coin over to number seven. It's the best motivation to obedience to walk with God always in view. And this is where we come to you know, the Ten Commandments. This is what we're called on to obey. But really the argument here is the same line of reasoning that we looked at in number six. The Lord always sees. We often have the wrong idea that the, the Christian life and the Ten Commandments are a bunch of thou shalt nots. But we've gone over the Ten Commandments often and and referenced aspects of the Ten Commandments many, many times that we know that each of the commandments carries with it its corollary. So, So there is the thou shalt not steal. But the corollary of thou shalt not steal is thou shalt work. Thou shalt provide for thy family. Thou shalt honor private property. Thou, there's a lot of thou shalts involved in the thou shalt nots. And so the, the Christian life is not just a, you know, stop doing bad things. The Christian life is also a 
start doing good things. Start living in obedience to what God has commanded. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 24. This is a little bit longer, longer passage here. Matthew 24 is part of a longer discourse we often refer to as the Olivet Discourse, simply because Christ was standing on the Mount of Olives when he was discoursing, and so hence the Olivet Discourse. But in chapter 24 of Matthew, he's talking about the end times, the end of the world, what it's going to be like when the Lord returns. But um, look at verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, the one taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. And here is, is the point of all this. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And so here, here's the point. If you're walking with the Lord, this is a motivation to walk in obedience. Because if you're not walking with the Lord, you get your eyes off the Lord and, and you, you come to this wrong conclusion that the Lord doesn't see and know and I'm all alone and I can do whatever I want and the Lord shows up, well, that's embarrassing. Right? That, that's, that's bad. And, and this is what the Lord is talking about here with the, the faithful servant and the good one of the house. If he knew that the master wasn't coming until 8 o'clock, well, it's kind of like me when I was in uh, elementary school. We had certain times we were allowed to play the Nintendo. And my mom would go to the grocery store and come back, and I had enough sense to know how long it took her to get to the grocery store and how long it took her to get back. And so I knew I had a little window and I could play my Nintendo while mom was not home, and who would ever know? Right? But then that one fateful day that the Nintendo had started, and mom had forgot something and turned around and come back early, caught red-handed. Or it was a gray controller, I was caught gray-handed. But caught, right? It's bad. And that's the idea. But if we're constantly walking with the Lord, well, it's that motivation to obedience. Uh, number eight, the eighth reason is the way that pleases God and all of God's people who walk with him. This is back to really some of that same concept of you are aligning yourself with a great cloud of witnesses when you walk with God. 
Remember Enoch, he was a man who pleased God because he walked with the Lord. This is the pathway of God's faithful servants. Look at 3 John 3. 3 John uh, verse 3 and 4. might be a plaque you have hanging at your house someplace. 1 John verse 3 and 4 says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. When you are walking with the Lord, and you're among others that walk with the Lord, it's a happy day. Everyone is happy and rejoicing walking with the Lord. We're all headed the same direction. We're all pushing the same plow. We're all, we're all going in the same direction. This is one of the reasons, this is a complete side note here, but this is one of the reasons, especially for you young people, why it's so important not to be unequally yoked together. Because if you're a believer walking with the Lord, or, or seeking to, trying to walk with the Lord, and you yoke yourself to one who is an unbeliever, well, one of you is pushing one way and the other one's pushing the other way. You're not aligned. You, you, you cannot have a happy home when you're headed in two completely separate directions. But to walk with the Lord is a happy life, and it's a collective happiness of those that are walking with the Lord. There's, as it were, a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on in the race as you walk with him. And then one last one, we've got to finish up here. You are assured of God's mercy and gracious favor. Now, if you are still breathing on this side of eternity, and you are not in hell, then you are the recipient of God's mercy and favor. If you're, if you're not dead, you are still receiving God's common grace. Your heart is beating and your lungs are pumping. They're doing their thing. You're alive. And so you're a recipient of that common grace of God. But if you're not walking with the Lord, you cannot presume on God's mercy and grace for another moment. You, you can't presume on it. God is merciful. God is gracious. Absolutely, he is merciful and gracious. Even to the unbeliever, he's merciful and gracious. But you can't presume on such if you're outside of Christ. It's only those that are in Christ that can be assured of God's mercy and of God's grace for all of eternity, for, for the rest of your days. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. We have a cleansing of sin. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. We can be assured of the gracious mercy and favor of God. 
Sadly, there are few that walk this way. There, there are uh, sadly few that are conscious and mindful of these things. Um, I think we're in a church that you folks are mindful of these things. But may the Lord help us to walk faithfully with him day by day. Like I said, next week we'll come to some more practical, uh, just day-to-day suggestions of what it actually looks like to walk with the Lord. And so trust the Lord will bless that as well. But let's close in prayer here before our service time. Our Father, we come before you thankful for what we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we come thankful for these reminders from your word to faithfully walk with you. We pray that you'll help each of us. Uh, We confess that we are unfaithful, but we thank you that though we are unfaithful, you abide faithful always. And so we pray for that work of grace in our heart to draw us closer to yourself, to walk with you. We pray that even today, this Lord's Day and our time spent with you here in your house would be helpful in a motivation for us. We pray for Pastor Kimbrough as he preaches in a moment, that you would bless him, give him words that we need, bless our singing, and bless our, bless our fellowship here together today in Jesus' name. Amen.